Genesis 2.24 reads, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Hello and welcome back to Think This Way. This is the podcast of Faith Bible Church. And I am Pastor Bryce, and I have with me one of the other pastor elders here. It is none other than Dan Geelock. Dan, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. We are today, uh, we've been focused on family, and we've kind of had some episodes on family in a general sense, but we're moving today toward the most basic building block of families, which is marriage. We're going to have some episodes on marriage, then we're going to move on to some episodes on parenting, and that'll be a wrap. Um, The interesting thing with marriage is, and that's why we have this episode today, it's not like this with most subjects, I feel, but with marriage, there really is one verse that kind of towers above all the other verses in importance. And I mean that because it comes earliest in scripture, it's most foundational to our knowledge of marriage, and it's the basis on which, even in the New Testament, the most important passages from Jesus and Paul on marriage literally quote this verse. (laughs) So I mean, so you ought to know this verse. If you don't know this verse, well, listen to this podcast, then you will know it. It is Genesis 2.24. I read it when we started here. Um, If you ever go to Genesis 2 and take a look at it, which I would encourage, you'll see that it comes right after God had created Eve, because in verse 18, he saw it was not good for Adam to be alone. He creates Eve out of Adam's rib, brings the woman to the man. He goes, wow, that's awesome. She's woman. He's man. And after God has done that, the narrator, whom I take to be Moses here, uh, Moses then writes, therefore. So God made that first marriage, one man, one woman. And then the therefore says that that creation of that first marriage is a template then. It's by God's design. It's a template for all marriages, which is why 224 is the foundational verse because it's built on this template that God made. Uh, It helps us as well with questions of LGBTQ. We're not going to get into that today, but we go back to Genesis 2.24. That's the original template of marriage, so that's what we go with. Therefore, a man leaves father and mother joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. Uh, Like I said, it is quoted by Jesus and Paul uh, in the important New Testament passages on marriage. For example, Matthew 19 with a parallel in Mark 10. I'll just read some of this, and you'll see. This is Jesus answering a question about marriage and divorce. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read? And this is Genesis 2. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? There's the template. And said, listen to this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, quoted Genesis 2.24. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God's joined together, let not man separate. And there is Jesus basing his teaching on divorce and marriage on Genesis 2.24. They rebut him with Deuteronomy 24, where Moses allowed for divorce. And his response in verse 8 is, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you, yes. But here's his answer. From the beginning, it was not so. Genesis 2.24, it's the template uh, for all marriages. And then Paul in Ephesians 5, when he's talking about husbands loving their wives, wives submitting to their husbands, 
He says that husbands should love their wives because nobody ever hated himself, his own flesh. You nourish, you cherish yourself, and that's how it is in marriage. And then verse 31, he quotes, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's why husbands treat their wives very well, because you're one flesh. And then 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So that is the most important New Testament teaching on marriage. And it's based on Genesis 2.24. So I'm sensing a theme. Yeah, this is so important. <laughs> How could we not know this verse? You need to memorize this verse. So uh, so that's my whole talk on Genesis 2.24. Hopefully I've convinced everyone how important it is. But now it's a matter of understanding what's being taught there. And that's why we have Dan, the marriage expert. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my. Have, you, have you checked that? Out with Kim? <laughs> <laughs> no. Should I do that? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, but see, Kim's so nice. She would tell me, you're, you're a great husband. All right, but so, Dan, there are three parts to this uh, verse, really, of what it's saying. And the first one is, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. You got to do that to do the other stuff, but it's not a throwaway part of things. Leaving is important. My question for you is, what is it? What does it look like for uh, a married couple to leave their parents? And then what are some of maybe the problems that people encounter if they don't really leave in this way? Great question. Um, but I, I want to reiterate what you've said so well that Jesus is stating nothing new. Marriage between a man and a woman is designed by God, portrayed for us in the early creation account. Genesis 2, 24. Have you heard that verse? Uh, yeah, I think okay, I good, have. Good. It's a God-designed, God-ordained, God-blessed, God-created blessing for men and women. Our creator, the one to whom we owe all gratitude, obedience, love, and appreciation, even declared it again as he himself joined a couple together. In his counsel and directive to such couples, he included a directive for them to leave their parents. Now, we're really to thank God for giving us parents that brought us into this, this world, loved us, fed us, guided us, and if they were believers, raised us up in his nurture and admonition. We are, as we've discussed in an earlier podcast, to honor and respect them, even if, like the rest of us, they are flawed individuals. So, that even if we are married, we are still to have a relationship with them, which can include financially supporting them happily as God gives us ability. That being said, by God's design and command, the relationship between husband and wife is to be stronger than the bond to our parents. So leaving. There are many different perspectives on what it looks like to have parents and what it looks like to cleave to a spouse. Some cultures treat marriage as if it marks a total break with birth families. For our culture, most of the time it means separate dwellings. That's not the expectation in some parts of the world. And if there is a transcultural marriage with different understanding, that can create havoc. The marital union, as you'd said, rightly so, is the basic in human society. The most basic family relationship is not parent-child, but husband-wife. It preceded parent-child relationships. Parent-child interactions must change as a child develops through infancy, preschool, adolescence, and adulthood, and subsequent marriage for most people. When they marry, 
the man and woman have a new set of schedules, finances, decision-making priorities, where to live, what churches to attend, all of which need to focus and emphasize each other and their collective emerging vision for their future. Now, both men and women should consider, first, what the scriptures teach, in addition to the views, history, and opinions of others, including their parents. But if the parents of either consume or usurp all of these areas, it will mean disaster. If either of the young couples continues to go back to mom or dad, it is good, healthy, and right for the original matriarchs and patriarchs to send them back to their spouse. If not, the blame for the ensuing wars lay at the feet of those who violated God's rule about leaving in Cleveland. And really, to answer your question, if there is no leaving, the young couple will exponentially multiply conflicts, arguments, tears, tension, stress, sleepless night, depression, anxiety, difficulty in concentration, and an unavoidable impact on marital intimacy. We'll address that in another podcast. Mm -hmm. I have seen way too many times and those men and women who don't leave sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind. That's well said. Yeah, it was interesting for myself growing up because I had such a good relationship with my parents, and uh, I had been out of the house uh, living on my own or with other guys for several years, college on, came back, left. And um, so I think for Michaela and I, when we got married, I felt a concern like, am I going to leave properly my parents? Because I had such a good relationship with them, you know. Thankfully, it wasn't an issue, thankfully. You know, we were able to, Michaela and I, to kind of establish our own home. And I think a lot of that was actually my parents did a really good job. Like you said, send them back. <laughs> they never had to send me back or anything. But they did a good job respecting that, which mm-hmm. is, I can't imagine how hard for a parent. You raise this child, sweat and blood into this child. Now they must leave in, a, in some sense. And my parents did a really good job of that. And Michaela's parents lived in a different part of the state, and that wasn't as difficult, but it can be. Uh, so after someone's left in marriage, you leave. It says you leave so that you can hold fast to your spouse. Clinger. What's the good King James? Cleave? Cleave. Cleave. Right, yeah. Cleave to your spouse. So to cleave means to hold fast, adhere to, stick to, or join with. It is a unique joining of two people into one entity. Tim Keller explains in The Meaning of Marriage, it is a Hebrew word that literally means to be glued to something. Now, in some couples, one may feel that the glue is, you know, uneasy and permanent, but the wonderful reality is that there's a need to have some true, biblical, strong, healthy cleaving. A century of wedding vows have, have acknowledged, as long as we both shall live, marriage is for life. And you can see that in Romans 7 too. It means we do not quit when things are not going right. It includes talking things out, praying things through, being patient as you trust God to work in both of your hearts, being willing to admit when you are wrong and asking forgiveness and seeking God's counsel regularly in his word. Wayne Mack describes cleaving this way. God's kind of marriage means that people know that they must face problems, discuss them, seek God's help in them, resolve them rather than run from them because 
there is no way out. (laughs) (laughs) They are committed to one another for life. They must cleave to one another again today and again tomorrow, as long as they both shall live tenaciously without seeing someone else as God's ordained soulmate. This person, my wife, my husband, is the person that God has designed for me to continually dedicate our thoughts, concerns, priorities, desires, and passions to this one person and wisely guard that relationship from all competition, even the television guys. That's what cleaving is. Mm, Well said. So the cleaving in that passage, that's the second thing that happens, the leaving, the cleaving. Um, the third thing here that follows is the two shall become one, and Jesus makes reference to that and builds an argument on that basis. Sometimes I've heard this said as you leave, you cleave, you weave, because that rhymes. Yeah, that's, that's nice. nice yeah. That's a nice rhyme. That so works. maybe help us understand what is this, the two become one flesh. Well, we had the three points, now we'll have a prayer and we'll be done. <laughs> and they rhyme, so they yeah, weren't, they weren't alliteration. But, no, you know. that's true, but still good. <laughs> well... Um, Again, I'm going, to re- I'm going to refer to an author. Paul Tripp, I believe, says it well when he said, when the marriage talks about one flesh, it really means one flesh. It's that in the intimacy of the marriage relationship, there is meant to be the most miraculous, tender intimacy that you could ever experience in human life. That it's this moment where all protections, protections are gone. I am now literally naked exposed in the arms of another human being and our bodies literally become as one. One flesh doesn't begin with your body. One flesh really begins with your heart. I'm convinced that most sexual dysfunction in marriage, it's not just about biology, it's about the heart. It's selfish, demanding entitlement and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness that wrecks havoc on our ability to enjoy the deepest, most beautiful intimacy that human beings can know. In our culture, we have made a separation that was never supposed to be made. We separate sex from relationship, and sex just becomes an act for my pleasure with whomever, whatever will give me pleasure. Whenever, however, wherever. And and it walks away from that context of God's design where this beautiful one flesh thing, where the souls have been connected, now become bodies that are connected in the deepest and most beautiful form of human unity. Well, he calls it the two become one flesh, and you refer it here to sexuality but that's clear both from what follows in Genesis 2 because immediately after he says, they become one flesh, it says, and they were naked and not ashamed, to your point. But it's even more clear in the New Testament when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, talking about not, not committing sexual immorality, he says, do you not know he who's joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And so yeah. that's, that's the wonderful part about Paul's discussion to the Corinthians, a culture very much like our own today, Mm -hmm. where there needs to be a recognition that you do not join Christ with those those things, those entities, those ideas that are abominable and contrary to God's design and good design and healthy design Mm -hmm. meant for our flourishing. I mean, if I can draw on Keller again, I had heard a sermon the other day and he was talking about sexuality, but this was a sermon from a long time ago. 
but that's the point that he was making is that we have divorced sexuality from really covenant relationship. The covenant, because God designed for sexuality, when he says one flesh, you're right, that's not just sex, but sex is a part of that. Because God designed sexuality to be a complete giving of yourself. So if you say, I'm not willing to marry you, so I'm keeping my bank account, I'm keeping my personal space, I'm keeping my freedom, I'm keeping my, but you can have my body. And that's just not what God meant, sexuality. It is literally the becoming of one flesh, total union together. Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this now, maybe you didn't know Genesis 2.24. I hope you know it now <laughs> or uh, did not have it on your list of scripture you've memorized or hadn't thought much about it. Or maybe you've been doing marriage but haven't been giving much thought to the leaving, cleaving, and weaving, whatever the case might be. May God help us all now to think this way. Mm-hmm.